Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of If Not Us. Uh, we are a podcast that talks with everyday humans that are working to make the world a, a better place and tackling very important issues. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Eric Fakus, joined by my co-host, Clara Campbell. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Ivy Tang Lei, uh, who is a friend of ours um, from Exegy, uh, a tech-focused agency in the social impact space. So how are you guys doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Doing well. Um, really excited to, to have you on and talk about um, a super important issue. Um, for background on today's episode, Ivy posted an open letter. Um, Dear America, we are not your, Asians are not your um, model minority and was just super moved by it and wanted to make sure that we were bringing it to to light and sharing in more deeper detail the importance of what we're experiencing today with a, a real big rise in racism and hate against the Asian American community. Um, so I would love to, to share in, in detail Ivy's letter and I've asked Ivy to kick off the episode today by reading that open letter. Thank you so much, um, one, for giving and making the space for an important issue like this. Um, I'd like to first walk through the visuals that are used um, in the open letter um, for folks who are listening on their headphones. The first is that before you even get to any text is a photo that one of my mentors, um, Corky Lee, who recently passed from COVID-19, um, took in 1975 at a Peter Yu police brutality protest. And in the photo, you'll see that there is solidarity across um, the Asian community as well as the black and brown community very clearly depicted in the photo. So I, I welcome anybody who is um, looking to share the article to, to study it, to really take into the history of racism and the solidarity that is so important as we think about combating white supremacy in America. So without further ado, I will read over, uh, read out loud the open letter um, and hope everybody takes a moment and close your eyes and um, really take into a little snapshot, a snap, snapshot of um, what this moment calls for. Dear America, Asian Americans are not your model minority. By now, you've probably already seen and heard about the rise of anti-Asian hate crimes during the COVID-19 pandemic. The truth is, for many of us at Exegy, it's not the first time we have personally experienced hate crimes because of our identity or a loved ones who has been a victim and continues to walk in our neighborhood in fear of being attacked. At the beginning of COVID-19, I was spat on while walking to work on Tuesday morning. I did not call the police as I thought deeply about the potential harm a 911 call could do to another black man in a hoodie. Since then, I've avoided that street and often carry pepper spray while walking alone in San Francisco, one of the most liberal voting districts in the country. While trying hard to move on and mentally log the incident as an exception, my story similarity in the recent rise of 
hate crimes against my fellow Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders has made it impossible, has made it both personally painful and deeply distracting. The only way I have been able to reconcile this traumatic event has been by calling, recalling the deeply rooted history of xenophobia in the United States. From the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which by the way, wasn't repealed until 1943 and was the first immigration law of its kind to discriminate against a specific ethnic group to the complex history of black and Asian communities that ultimately led to the Rodney King riots. Racism is another pandemic that continues to kill and destroy our communities. By reminding ourselves of the history of oppression, including in this moment, I hope that we can heal and stand in solidarity with other historically marginalized groups to organize against hate, against white supremacy, against infighting that further divides and dilutes our power to demand justice. One of those actions, especially as a Silicon Valley social impact organization is calling out the ways that the tech community has embraced harmful Asian sentiments and how it shows up both at work as well as the work that we do. Studies after studies have shown that Asian Americans overwhelmingly represent the Bay Area tech community, further perpetuating the model minority myth. At the same time, this aggregated AAPI data has been put on the back burner, erasing our elders, low-income households, and non-English speaking communities from major reports and analyses that determine funding opportunities for grassroots organizations. As a former DACA recipient, I seldom felt represented even though one out of every seven of the total 11 million undocumented community identify as AAPI. From immigration reform to today's COVID-19 vaccine rollout plan, AAPIs have been consistently left to their own accord to navigate complicated legislative policies, forcing our struggles to be buried behind cultural barriers within the complex and diverse spectrum that makes up the entire Asian American and Pacific Islander community. As we work towards a more equitable and anti-racist era, the journey to undoing existing oppressive systems requires all of us to get more uncomfortable and call leaders in when they fail to show up for their team their community, and the values of social justice. Whether it's anti-Black or anti-Asian, we are putting our words to action. For me, I have asked to create space at Exegy for all of us to grieve, vent, and identify more ways to raise awareness. What are you doing to fight systemic racism? In solidarity, Ivy Tang Lei, unapologetically Asian American. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> and it's hard to read that out, out loud. I mean, it's a, obviously your um, experiences uh, are emotional living through the last uh, year and longer of, you know, experiencing racism. So first of all, thank you for sharing that. That was the first thing I thought of when I read your letter was to write you an email just to say thank you. For, for sharing that at this important moment. So thank you for reading that aloud. I feel like I haven't read it out loud 
I've like read it 50 times in my head. I'm like, yes, this makes sense. And then like reading it out loud, it's so much more um, tear jerking than, than it is when you're reading in your head. Yeah, it's different when you hear it, right? Versus when you just hear your own your own voice in your head. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. um, the the first question that I have, um, just um, obviously, you know, you've grown up, uh, you know, as a an, an Asian American, you've, you've experienced a lot of things over your life. This past year, I'm sure, has been um, particularly challenging. Um, with the coronavirus um, and all of the rise in in hate that we've experienced um, and seen um, based off of leaders in our country labeling the, the virus, the China virus and other things that were really hurtful. Um, so um, I guess I'm just wondering like, what was the latest inspiration after a year that really led for you to say, I want to say something uh, now is the time now is the right time for me to, to write this and to share this. Yeah, that's, um, that's something I, I think I grappled with, um, as I was writing the letter as well. Uh, and as a reference point, the incident where I got spat on was in February of 2020. And um, while America was becoming aware of COVID-19, I think there were already lockdowns and um, news that was spreading from Wuhan, China. And I think for a long time in 2020, there were a magnitude of things that were taking over our headspace. There were obviously the pandemic, the lockdown, um, the peak of BLM, um, the election. There were so many things that, were, uh, that was happening. And for what it's worth, I think now that the new administration has been introduced um, and really understanding that just because the new administration is now in the, off, in the White House, it doesn't take away all the damage and all the emboldened racism that the last administration has allowed. And seeing that what was someone's saliva landing on me is now amplifying to elders dying because they were pushed while walking in you know, their neighborhood. Um, really was like, who am I to hold on to that and be so fearful that if folks who are way less able or, or allowed or capable of speaking um, in this platform, uh, then I must say something. Uh, and this letter really is just the beginning of it. It's, as I've said in there, it's, not the first time uh, Asian Americans are under attack. I mentioned the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, obviously everybody remembers vividly the last administration's rhetorics, but we must not forget the Japanese internment camp. Um, Vincent Chen, who is Chinese American and was beat to death with a bat. And while two of his um, murderers screamed at him and said, if it wasn't for you Japanese people, we would have jobs. And they got 
let go with a couple thousand dollar fine. So this moment and many more before and many more after is a moment to call be call for solidarity and unity. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate Ivy how you said, you know, drew that parallel between all the things that are happening and then thinking like, I can't hold on to this. I need to, I need to speak up. And I think that's really the kind of the exact sentiment that so many change makers and movement leaders have felt as well, right? Like not like they were planning on becoming some kind of activist for something, mm -hmm. but they, you know, found themselves and thought, well, our title, if not us, right? Like if, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if I don't speak up, then who will? Um, mm -hmm. But I do think it's interesting, that just the way you spoke about that was really moving and inspiring to think like, yeah, what are the causes and that I'm part of that mm -hmm. I can just, it's easier to just hold on to them than actually step up and, and um, yeah, take action. Do something, yeah. Sure. I mean, the other more morbid way of looking at it is that we'll not say anything prevent incidents like this from happening. Mm -hmm. The answer is no. It's yeah. what is the what is the pit bottom if you are already there? You might as well yeah. own it and then um, try to do something about it. But that's you know saying that everybody processes trauma very differently. You know, I have friends who are now driving to pick up their um, delivery order, mm -hmm. even though they can walk there in a couple of blocks because that's how scared they are. Like I myself didn't walk my dog for two months after I got spat on and I used COVID as an excuse, like, oh, we should just not be outside. But like in reality, I was afraid of everybody who came close to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I think, yeah, to your point, everyone takes you know, needs to handle um, trauma in their own way. But it is something where when, if you have the courage and you find the courage to actually share, I think it can be really powerful and encouraging others to do the same thing. Um, Absolutely. I don't want to bring you back to relive painful experiences, but I wonder, especially for listeners out there who have never experienced something like this, like an incident like that, how did you feel when, like, how did it feel to be spot on <laughs> on your way to work? Yeah, um, I apologize for laughing because that's how I cope with trauma. <laughs> I'm with <you>. um, <laughs> I, so at the time it was February, I had moved from New York City where I grew up um, just end of September, so a few months ago. And um walking to work Tuesday morning it's beautiful our office um is in uh mission district and I had my headphones on I believe I was probably listening to the daily <laughs> and I was sort of rushing to work because I have a goal of getting from my home to uh, the office within 30 minutes every single time <laughs> and um as I was like speed walking uh, up the hills of San Francisco I then uh, felt a presence in front of me and that's when I switched my I my view from like looking at the cement mm -hmm. of San Francisco to up where this person was standing in front of me and at the time we didn't we still didn't wear masks right because it was February we still don't know what why it was COVID was going to turn out to be so 
with my guards down, I had thought that this person approached me to ask me for directions or something like mm-hmm. that initial eye contact. And that person looked me in the eye. He didn't just walk by and it wasn't like a walk by spit. It was a, I'm going to look you in the eye mm-hmm. and spit on you and mm-hmm. walk right away. And I, I, I believe I said something like, what the fuck? And then I turned around and he just kept walking. And I knew that there was a person who was right behind that person who kept walking, who sat on me and had, at this point walked past me. And that guy just looked at the other guy in disgust with his dog and didn't acknowledge me either. And so I was afraid to look down because that would mean that I have to inspect where his saliva had landed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I called my partner and I was like, I just got spit on. And he was like, what, are you okay? Did you call the cops? And then I said, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm like afraid to look. I think I'm just gonna rush to the office and then like go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, Ivy, you gotta call the cops. And I was like, I, I really don't want to call the police on another black man in a hoodie. And he, he like then asked like, did he look like he was, you know, um, in a house? Like, did he look like he, like, could he be causing harm to other people while he's on the street? And it's like, no, he looked like a perfectly like fine human being with no extra like bags or anything like that. He, it looked like he was just also wa- walking somewhere else. Um, and I, you know, at the beginning, I really thought that there was just like another initiation to like the city of San Francisco and the, mm-hmm. the problem of homelessness that we have here. But really, in hindsight, could, how could I not associate that mm-hmm. with the sentiment that's like, there's a, there's a virus coming from China. And we're gonna start barring barring people who are coming from China and the beginning of that, you know? Um, yeah, and at that time, especially, I mean, through a majority of last year, that was the messaging coming from the White House, um, calling it the China virus, like Eric mentioned before. And yeah, it. I'm sure it must've been a really weird realization, A, to even just process that that moment that somebody actually spit on you. And then secondly, to realize like, oh, this is a direct relationship. Like it's not, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what, there's a message being sent here um, that's then perpetuated all around by, by people who were in charge at the time. Um, I appreciate your sharing that. I can't imagine, yeah, processing that myself. Um, was there anyone, you mentioned you called your partner, was there anyone, like who walked through through this with you or were you able to share even? Yeah, I did show up at work and I got through the door and I was like, I got spit on this morning and everyone was like, are you okay? Are you like, and then, you know, folks started sharing like their, their way of, um, making sure I was okay without like having me to revisit it was just like sharing their own times when like something equally um crazy happened in San Francisco and it again it was like it was as if I was 
told and taught to dismiss it as another incident, mm -hmm. but as an Asian American woman walking down the street and hearing phrases like China virus and Kung Flu and disease carrying, et cetera, et cetera, um, it did not take away the reality that is this emboldened racism against Asian Americans, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, it's almost like, oh, can you prove that that person did that to you because of that? Like, why do I need to justify when hate is directed and experienced by me? Mm -hmm. And there are clearly other instances, right? And yeah. um, I, I would challenge anybody who wants to play devil's advocate in situations like this is that like, why is it hard to admit that racism exists in America and the rise of anti-Asian hate crimes mm -hmm. are real to many, many others without, without needing to justify or prove it. Mm -hmm. And without having to be comparative, right? Like any injustice is an injustice. So mm -hmm. yeah, I really agree with that. And one other question just about the letter, you mentioned this um, model minority myth. Uh, and I wondered if you could just briefly explain that and what, it's, what the dangers are of it's being per perpetuated um, through media and discussion. Absolutely. Model minority, the model minority myth was created little over, I think just a few decades ago, I think in the 60s to really perpetuate this competition between communities that are not white. Mm -hmm. And it's as if um, instead of and it's, I think it's a tactic um, that instead of recognizing the fight vertically between, um, you know, white supremacy and marginalized group and people of color, um, that they have directed the attention to comparing marginalized groups against each other. Mm -hmm. And the model minority myth specifically focuses on Asian Americans being the way that minorities should behave. They have their heads down, they don't complain, they work really hard, they all do well. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the part when, you know, they look at overrepresentation in Asian American um, employees in the Bay Area, and they're like, look, we're not, we're not racist, we're we're, we, we have a lot of Asians in our company. And then you <laughs> point to them and say, is that really your barometer? And is, mm -hmm. is that the way that you um, measure your company's like equity and diversity and inclusion metrics? And, mm -hmm. and the reality is, as I mentioned in my um, open letter, is that the Asian American Pacific Islander community, first of all, in the 2000, census we were as we were noted as others like we weren't even there wasn't even a check mark for us okay and then finally in in 2010 there's like aapi and then you like asia is huge like it's fucking huge it is india and china 
that's already 2.3 or 4 billion people. And then there's the Pacific Islanders, right? Like including like South Asia, like Middle East, Korea, well. Japan. Yeah, absolutely. And so categorizing this huge population as a monolith is, is extremely dangerous as we're thinking about um, representation and equity. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I think, you know, yeah, I, I feel like um, both the model minority and the monolithic myths both touch on like by, by, by thinking of Asians as the model minority and just thinking of Asians as Asians writ large, um, you're, you're putting people in boxes, like you're stereotyping right there, you know? Um, so that, yeah, it's a huge- I mean, I've even gone into an argument with a really good friend of mine when he, who's a white man, and he looked at me, he's like, yeah, but Asians have all the like good stereotypes. Like no stereotypes are good stereotypes. Do you mm-hmm. understand? Like that is playing into white supremacy. And going back to the example of like the Ronnie King riot, it was really tension around the Korean immigrant community and the black community that was centralized in the same place. And um, this gro- this uh, grocery owner who's Korean American um, pulled and pulled a gun and shot someone who's black and she got away um, and she got away with it. She didn't get like penalized for it and the black community revolt, right? And this idea that like Asian Americans are shields for white supremacy is, is an old tale that is told over and over again. And it saddens me um, when history is repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I think, um, yeah, that, that whole thing that you mentioned too, about kind of pitting the marginalized groups against each other, you know, it sort of like feels hunger games like that, like white supremacist mm-hmm. hunger games where it's like everyone you're, yeah. you're scrapping for what's left. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's really not the way forward for sure. Um, right. Yeah, I, I really identify with a lot of those things. I think um, I, I haven't been spit on myself, but you know, throughout my life, I've experienced acts of racism from getting like, you know, followed around and being yelled at um, to being like literally refused service. My partner is white and yeah, it just, it was the, yeah, and I, I really identify with what you were saying about sort of that realization of what, what was happening. You know, it takes a while to be like, oh, you really aren't serving me because of this. You know, like for, for a while, I was just like, well, I assume it just must be, you know, I didn't know what it was. Um, uh-huh. And then I think, like you're saying, I mean, you mentioned your friends being afraid to walk their dogs, like I myself too, yeah. Like every time I go outside now, I'm thinking, ooh, you know, I, mm-hmm. it makes me nervous and you never know where it's coming from. And it seems like every day we track onto our news feeds and there's more stories um, of people who've been attacked. So mm-hmm. lots, yeah, 
it's just right. a scary time. Yeah. I mean, in addition to being afraid to walk at night as a woman, period, it now is like a sexual assaults plus mm-hmm. just blatant racism. Mm-hmm. Day um, or night. Yeah. Exactly. That's why people got to vote for the right people. Yes, please. I wonder um, if we could talk about sort of, I mean, you mentioned voting, so that's great. Need to do that. I wonder, Eric, if we could bring you in, in terms of taking action. And, you know, we've talked a lot about what is the place of the workplace. You were going to work. And then um, how your coworkers responded. I wonder, Eric, if you have thoughts about, as the CEO of a company, um, what are the roles of leaders, you know, across industries to confront racism and, and injustice? I know there's been a lot of ink shed on that, um, but would love to hear your perspective. Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, from one perspective, it's it's nice to see what looks like a, a rise in awareness from a corporate leadership perspective um, to stand with communities that are under attack, and we've seen an increase just in the last month or so of companies supporting Asian Americans as uh, an initiative. Um, However, in a lot of cases, it sort of falls flat um, and it really feels like it's sort of canned messaging from a corporate PR department that's getting posted on Twitter and things like that. So I think it's just really important that as a company leader, we're recognizing the need to make public statements, but trying to do more, trying to figure out how we can be more helpful, trying to educate ourselves and our teams and integrate content into um, our internal meetings and DEI initiatives. Um, but, but also really recognizing that as company leaders, we play a really small um, piece, uh, a really small role Um, And certainly from a hiring perspective, um, we need to think about our goal at Media Cause is to to hire a company that looks like the rest of the country um, to make sure there is representation of all sorts, um, not just racially, um, but really to feel like we are a a representation of the country we work in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in particular to, to recognize that like, leadership isn't just coming from companies. Um, You know, we need to think about um, how we raise our children. We need to think about how we hold our friends uh, accountable, whether they be good friends um, and maybe just are miseducated on how to talk about a certain topic um, or acquaintances of ours that, you know, really hold views that that aren't uh, um, respectful to, to others. Um, you know, and, and recognize that, um, you know, voting is a big part of it, government leadership, and we've seen the results of uh, leaders in our country using terms like the China virus and, and Kung flu and how that's um, risen and, and, and led to more racism and hate against uh, Asian Americans. So, yeah, I just think it's, it's so much bigger than corporate um, you know, corporations did not create racism in this country. It goes so much deeper and so further back um, before companies had the power that they have. So 
you know, I think it's important that everyone um, takes ownership and figures out how to each one of us really be a part of this solution to make sure that we can get rid of racism or at least aim to strive to, whether that's yeah. an achievable goal or not, that we're all doing our part uh, in our lives and all aspects of our lives personally and, and in corporate settings. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I really liked what you said at the top um, about moving beyond just kind of sentimental things, you know, putting out a nice little piece of language that makes it feel, um, you know, timely, but actually moving into how do we integrate that into more of our system. Right. Um, like you said, yeah, we all have um, a special role to play, which I think gives us a good segue to, you know, my last question for you, Ivy, just want to put out an acknowledgement that, you know, so often as in, in times like this, where we're looking at how do we confront injustice? How do we confront racism? It's put on um, the people who are victims of this and um, marginalized communities to come up with the answers in addition. <laughs> so we recognize that that's, that's just another tension that's part of this whole field. But that being said, for people who do um, have good intention and who want, um, or even for those who have experienced, you know, things similar to what you've experienced, mm -hmm. wondered if there were any resources or things that might be helpful that you, you could share. Absolutely. Um, so at the, at the end of the open letter, um, there is a list of resources that folks can visit on their own time. I think in general, there are three major buckets. One, continue to learn and unlearn um, the history of racism and how, whether that's at, at work or at school or in a home that we one way or another perpetuate it because what can come off as a joke really is not funny at all to a, another person or mm -hmm. um, as we've seen deadly. Um, show up for folks who are under attack, whether that is Asian Americans, um, out the black community, the brown community, anyone who is um, marginalized and under attack under the promise of this country, we should never um, leave another person feeling and uh, having injustice done to them. Know when to report a hate incident. Um, that's a mistake I had to learn. I think the more we have a consolidated uni unified front as to what exactly is happening and having a pulse on the community is extremely important. Um, and lastly, where possible, donate to your to communities of your choice or organizations. I have listed some in the article if folks are interested. But if you just Google it, mm -hmm. you will find many more. So um, don't please don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. um, if the letter is what you can do, write that letter. But if you can do more than that, do more than that. But being silent is is the worst option we have. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Ivy. This is, I know it probably took a lot of courage, but really, really yeah. that you spoke up. 
Thank you. And the disclaimer on my end is um, obviously I don't know the answer to everything. And I hope <laughs> that more people can come in and say like, you should have done this. And I'm like, yes, you should. That's right. You, you go do it. Um, and the, the only thing I hope is that more people are feeling less alone in this because mm -hmm. it is a journey we all have to fight together. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ivy, for, for sharing. Thank you both. That serves as inspiration to, to others to, to do what you did, which is to, to speak up, to share your experience as challenging as that could be, and to help educate others um, and just help uh, further the conversation that needs to take place um, right now. So thank you. Big thanks to, to you for, for showing up uh, and, uh, and sharing what you shared uh, and doing that with us today. Thanks to everyone for, for tuning in. And um, we'll share that resource, the, the link to the letter, along with some of the um, next steps that uh, people can take and learn from, from Ivy and what you shared. So um, yeah, and just to sign out here, remember uh, change belongs to all of us. Don't, ass don't assume that, more, that powerful, more powerful people than us will solve problems for us. Um, sort of the inspiration behind the show is that more people need to, to take action like Ivy in sharing the, the letter. So um, speak up, uh, get involved, and, and more importantly, take action. Um, because if not us, then who? And if not when? Um, if not now, then when? So um, thank you so much, Ivy. Thanks, Ivy. Thank you both so much. Talk soon.